Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Greg. I'm Cameron. And I'm Dan. Join us as we read and react to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time we read, read about Feanor creating the Silmarils, the three great jewels infused with the light of the two trees. Melkor lusts over the Silmarils, and his evil works come to fruition. The chasm between Feanor and Fingolfin widens, and he openly speaks of rebellion against the Valar. Today, we continue Chapter 7 of Quinta Silmarillion, beginning on page 69 of the second edition. Then there was great unrest in Tyrion, and Finway was troubled, and he summoned all his lords to council. But Fingolfin hastened to his halls and stood before him, saying, King and father, wilt thou not restrain the pride of our brother, Cruin Finway, who is called the spirit of fire, all too truly? By what right does he speak for all our people, as if he were king? Thou it was who long ago spoke before the Quendi, bidding them accept the summons of the Valar to Amman. Thou it was that led the Noldor upon the long road through the perils of Middle-earth to the light of Eldamar. If thou dost not now repent of it, two sons at least thou hast to honor thy words. But even as Fingolfin spoke, Feanor strode into the chamber, and he was fully armed, his high helm upon his head, and at his side a mighty sword. So it is even as I guessed, he said. My half-brother would be before me with my father, in this as in all other matters. Then turning upon Fingolfin, he drew his sword, crying, Get thee gone, and take thy due place. Fingolfin bowed before Finway, and without word or glance to Feanor, he went from the chamber. But Feanor followed him, and at the door of the king's house he stayed him, and the point of his bright sword he set against Fingolfin's breast. See, half-brother, he said, this is sharper than thy tongue. Try but once more to usurp my place and the love of my father, and maybe it will rid the Noldor of one who seeks to be the master of thralls. These words were heard by many, for the house of Finway was in the great square beneath the Mindon. But again, Fingolfin made no answer, and passing through the, the throng in silence, he went to seek Finarfin, his brother. Now, the unrest of the Noldor was not indeed hidden from the Valar, but its seed had been sown in the dark, and therefore, since Feanor first spoke openly against them, they judged that he was the mover of discontent, being eminent in self-will and arrogance, though all the Noldor had become proud. And Manwe was grieved, but he watched and said no word. The Valar had brought the Eldar to their land freely, to dwell or to depart. And though they might judge departure to be folly, they might not restrain them from it. But now, the deeds of Feanor could not be passed over, 
and the Valar were angered and dismayed, and he was summoned to appear before them at the gates of Valmar, to answer for all his words and deeds. There also were summoned all others who had any part in this matter, or any knowledge of it. And Feanor, standing before Mandos, in the Ring of Doom, was commanded to answer all that was asked of him. Then, at last, the root was laid bare, and the malice of Melkor revealed. And straightway Tulkas left the council to lay hands upon him and bring him again to judgment. But Feanor was not held guiltless, for he it was that had broken the peace of Valinor and drawn his sword upon his kinsmen. And Mandos said to him, Thou speakest of thraldom. If thraldom it be, Thou canst not escape it, for Manwe is king of Arda, and not of Amon only. And this deed was unlawful, whether in Amon or not in Amon. Therefore this doom is now made. For twelve years thou shalt leave Tyrion, where this threat was uttered. In that time take counsel with thyself, and remember who and what thou art. But after that time, this matter shall be set in peace and held redressed, if others will release thee. Then Fingolfin said, I will release my brother. But Feanor spoke no word in answer, standing silent before the Valar. Then he turned and left the council, and departed from Valmar. With him into banishment went his seven sons, and northward in Valinor they made a strong place and treasury in the hills. And there at Formenos a multitude of gems were laid in hoard, and weapons also. And the Silmarils were shut in a chamber of iron. Thither also came Finway the king, because of the love that he bore to Feanor, and Fingolfin ruled the Noldor and Tyrion. Thus the lies of Melkor were made true in seeming, though Feanor, by his own deeds, had brought this thing to pass. And the bitterness that Melkor had sown endured, and lived still long afterwards, between the sons of Fingolfin and Feanor. Now Melkor, knowing that his devices had been revealed, hid himself and passed from place to place as a cloud in the hills, and Tulkis sought for him in vain. Then it seemed to the people of Valinor that the light of the trees was dimmed, and the shadows of all standing things grew longer and darker in that time. It is told that for a time Melkor was not seen again in Valinor, nor was any rumor heard of him, until suddenly he came to Formenos and spoke with Feanor before his doors. Friendship he feigned, with cunning argument, urging him to his former thought of flight from the trammels of the Valar. And he said, Behold, the truth of all that I have spoken and how thou art banished unjustly. 
But if the heart of Feanor is yet free, and bold as were his words in Tyrion, then I will aid him, and bring him far from this narrow land. For am I not Vala also? Yea, and more than those who sit in pride in Valimar. And I have ever been a friend to the Noldor, most skilled and most valiant of the people of Arda. Now Feanor's heart was still bitter at his humiliation before Mandos, and he looked at Melkor in silence, pondering if indeed he might yet trust him so far as to aid him in his flight. And Melkor, seeing that Feanor wavered, and knowing that the Silmarils held his heart in thrall, said at the last, Here is a strong place, and well guarded, but think not that the Silmarils will lie safe in any treasure within the realm of the Valar. But his cunning overreached his aim. His words touched too deep, and awoke a fire more fierce than he designed. And Feanor looked upon Melkor with eyes that burned through his fair semblance, and pierced the cloaks of his mind, perceiving there his fierce lust for the Silmarils. Then hate overcame Feanor's fear, and he cursed Melkor, and bade him be gone, saying, Get thee gone from my gate, thou jail crow of Mandos. And he shut the door of his house in the face of the mightiest of all the dwellers in Ea. Then Melkor departed in shame, for he was himself in peril, and he saw not his time yet for revenge. But his heart was black with anger, and Finway was filled with great fear, and in haste he sent messengers to Manwe in Valmar. Now the Valar were sitting in council before their gates, fearing the lengthening of the shadows, when the messengers came from Formanos. At once Orome and Tolkis sprang up, but even as they set out in pursuit, messengers came from Eldamar, telling that Melkor had fled through the Kalakiria, and from the hill of Tuna the elves had seen him pass in wrath as a thundercloud. And they said that thence he had turned northward, for the Teleri in Alqualonde had seen his shadow going by their haven toward Arman. Thus Melkor departed from Valinor, and for a while the two trees shone again unshadowed, and the land was filled with light. But the Valar sought in vain for tidings of their enemy, and as a cloud far off that looms ever higher, borne upon a slow cloud, slow cold wind, a doubt now marred the joy of all the dwellers in Amman, dreading they knew not what evil yet might come. So to summarize what we just heard, the anger and the mistrust between the Noldor finally boils over. Feanor openly opposes his half-brother Fingolfin, even threatening him with his sword. Because the peace of Amon is disrupted, Feanor and other involved parties are forced to stand before Mandos and recount the events. Melkor's role is revealed in this, and he goes into hiding in Amon. 
Feanor is banished from Tyrion for 12 years and founds a stronghold north of Tyrion in Formanos. Here he is joined by his father, Finway, and his sons, while Fingolfin leads the Noldor in Tyrion. Melkor makes another attempt to turn Feanor against the Valor, Valar and finds an opportunity and tried to find an opportunity to steal the Silmarils, but Feanor is not fooled and immediately casts Melkor out. Melkor, in shame and in rage, retreats to the north of Amman. There's a lot. We're really getting some action now, huh? One thing I love about Tolkien is each character, when they speak, you can totally imagine that specific character speaking that way. Mm-hmm. It's it's a thing about great writers and filmmakers is that their characters will speak like no other character. And when they speak, they reveal their character. And you you find that with each of these. Like the way Mondo speaks, the way Feanor speaks, we finally get words from him. Mm-hmm. The cunning of Melkor, like the way he speaks to Fanor outside his door, is like, oh my gosh, he's such a silver tongue. Like he knows yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. what to say up until the last moment. Yeah. So I just love that. That is kind of a bummer. I wish, you know, I really wish like in the future when people reread this, they hear my voice for all the characters. If I ever do an animated film of the Silmarillion, I'll just have you voice all the characters. All of them. <laughs> a couple of uh, uh, points for the listeners as well. There's there's a lot of um, synonyms for different and pseudonyms for, for people in this. So Kuru Finway, if it wasn't obvious, is Feanor. So that's in the opening part of the re- read- reading when Fingolfin hastens to the council and says, King of Father, wilt thou not restrain the pride of our brother, Kuru Finway? Um, uh, that's referring to uh, Feanor. Um, and then uh, later on you see, you know, Feanor kind of reveals his hand a little bit by putting a sword in it and placing it on his half-brother's chest. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we we see his kind of like if you remember when when um uh finway remarried after muriel's death he wasn't happy with the like arrangement and what came forth so you see that kind of he's he's now it's time to kind of get get at his half brothers um mm. and then later on as well we have foramenos which is a new place that's being introduced um it appears that Fin Feanor is forgiven by Fingolfin. He says, and guys, you can you can help me understand this better. But then Phil, Fingolfin said, I will release my brother. But Feanor spoke no word in answer, standing silent before the Valar. Then he turned and left the council and departed from Valen- Valmar. So it seems <laughs> like it's like, oh, whatever, man. Like, uh, I'm out. Hmm. And then he he creates Formenos, which is um, the stronghold where the Silmarils are being held. Right. He still kind of has to um, carry out the sentence of being banished from... Yeah, Mondo says, after that time, this matter shall be set in peace if others will release thee. So it reveals uh, more about Fingolfin, too, 
who's like, I release my brother right now. Mm-hmm. I don't need to wait, you know, 12 years. I release you right now, which is really cool. Yeah. I underline that he specifically referred to him as his brother. Because yeah. earlier, um, Feanor himself called him his half brother. Right. Wow. And he kind of, yeah. you know, that, that intentionality with the language. I think that's beautiful. Part of Fingolfin's character that he embraces him as a full brother. He's quick to forgive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I uh, wrote a note in this section where uh, everyone has to go speak before Mandos. And it says, um, Feanor was commanded to answer all that was asked of him. And I wrote a note th- just wondering, as I read it, I just stopped at that sentence. And I thought, this is such a tangled mess. How are Even if Feanor says everything he knows, are they really going to discover that Melkor is at the root of it? Because everyone kind of believes it's their own thoughts and they've just it's just been these subtle seeds planted and then the very next sentence <laughs> they did yeah in fact discover that Melkor's at the root of it the the knowledge and wisdom and subtlety of the valar as well that right. they would be able to like you imagine the questions they must have asked to investigate the the core of this mm-hmm. problem like where it came from yeah and, 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 and tulkas and tulkas yeah. immediately just runs off to go he's fight the, him. He's the executioner <laughs> it's, it's interesting how like you know the 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 main um um they're not valor are they valor tulkas valor what is he yes uh, okay yeah. sorry. i'm getting confused um it, it's funny how they when they come back into the story because they, they they're featured um here here and in here out it's like at a thirty thousand foot view of them it's like we bring them to Mandos and he has to answer questions, but that's all we really hear about Mandos. And then, then we discover that Tolkis just kind of gets up and storms out to search for him. And then later on, it's like Orome and Tolkis spring up to kind of pursue him again. But that's all we hear about them. We don't hear like the inner motives and like their plan and like how they're going to like carry it out. Like so how, I wonder, how Mandos likes his eggs in the morning. Like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of want to know. Like, does he like it sunny side up? You know, with a little yeah. bit of white on there, or does he like to flip it over, or does he spoon the hot grease over his egg? So how do you think eggnog not, likes or does his he? Eggs, you know what I mean? Or maybe he's the kind of guy who doesn't know how to order eggs the way he likes, so he just says scrambled because that's all he knows how to order. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, he's a bit of a bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't know if we if they ever go into depth. Into you do kind of have to piece things together, don't you? But yeah, you I do, do. remember um, Tulkis especially. It kind of has mentioned like he never trusted um, Melkor again, even when he was captured after the war. Tulkis never captured, never trusted him again, and even when he was, you know, going to be set free again, Tulkis still didn't trust him. So he was, even though he didn't rebel against Manway's judgment, he still was ready to go at a moment's notice if if uh, Melkor did anything bad. Tolkien and, uh, is definitely uh, uh, more interested in the humbler characters, the ones that aren't quite as big and grandiose. But I also appreciate him letting your imagination run with it, like not like saying just enough. Like we don't need to hear the whole. Um, like counsel the whole what happened in the ring of doom to like find the answer but the fact that the valar were able to discern that melkor was at the core of it all like 
I think our imagination will do better than any author could could. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of these situations, you know, less is more. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the Valar, I wanted to ask you guys a question. Uh, and there's this particular line I'm looking at the top of page 71 and uh, Mondos is speaking and he says, if thraldom it be, thou canst not escape it for Manwe is king of Arda and not of Amon only. And this deed was unlawful, whether in Amon or not in Amon. So Manwe is like the king of the whole world, not just of Amon. Mm-hmm. So even if this were committed elsewhere, it's still kind of this, uh, active, mm-hmm. of un- un- unlawful act against Manwe and his authority. But it made me wonder, and I'm curious what you guys think. Is Manwe a good king? Camwe, what do you think? My name is Camarillion. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oops. You changed your name. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as I heard about the Silmarillions, I was like, I want to. It's like my kids when they watch a movie. I'm I'm the princess girl. Like they want to say who they are. And I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm the Silmarillion. <laughs> You're the, you're um, the book. I don't. I don't see. <laughs> <laughs> can't yeah, I be a Can't I be a Camarill too? Though there's multiple. <laughs> yeah, Camarill. Yeah. That's pretty no, good. No, you can be a Greg Nog or whatever. Like you have, to, you have to fit your name into it. Yeah, that's right. I don't see any reason to suppose that Monway is not a good king. He hmm. because he's the closest to Iluvatar. And um, the description of Melkor was that, um, or Sauron was that, well, this is kind of backwards now, but I was saying that Sauron serves another and Melkor only serves himself. But every time we hear about Manwe, he's seeking the counsel of Iluvatar. He seems to be the highest, but still obedient to Iluvatar. I don't see any kind of, you know, uh, pride in him. What, What do you think? Well, I, I wonder, you know, there's a difference between him having good character or um, moral principles and being a good ruler. I, I, I wondered that because um, maybe he was a little too trusting of Melkor when he said, yeah, I'm good now. I was, I was uh, rehabilitated in prison in chains and... I'm happy now and I love everybody and I want to heal the world. And some of the other Valar didn't believe that, but I don't know. Was he too naive to take the proper action? And Maybe naive. Yeah. I don't think that makes him a bad ruler. The fact that Iluvatar set him up as the king and that he shows no sign of, you know, his own will coming in the way. He, he's just leading yeah, my, my assumption is, is he's the greatest of the Valar. Um, that doesn't mean he's the least naive. Who is Mando speaking to when he says, Thou speakest of thraldom? Dot, dot, dot. He's speaking to Fanor. He says, Speaking to uh, Fanor. But, but why? When, Fanor when is suggesting Fanor to people. Thraldom? Fanor is suggesting that the Valar want to create a thraldom where the elves serve the Valar. And so, so and saying, Mandos is, is saying it doesn't it matter if you leave or not. Even if you yeah. leave, you'll still. Yeah. If it is really a thraldom, you're still a thrall because Ma- yeah. uh, Manwe's reach is everywhere. So then he says, "Therefore, doom is now made. For twelve years, thou shalt leave Tyrion, where this threat was uttered." Is he talking specifically to Fanor there, or is that is that more generalized to 
like that's Stefanor. That's Stefanor too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, one other thought I had. We talked about the light recently, and we were wondering about the nature of the light of the trees. How did it illuminate? And one thing it mentions here is that the light of the trees is dimmed, and it follows, and the shadows of all standing things grew longer and darker in that time. And that was kind of interesting. The the trees were brighter <laughs> before, but there weren't really shadows. They didn't cast shadows. Yeah. It was almost like the light just wrapped when around light gets everywhere. Brighter and more intense, the shadows are darker. Right. So it's interesting that when these lights go dim, the shadows get darker. It's kind of like they were so bright that they just overcame the shadows. But now the shadows kind of have gained some hold, or there's an absence of light that yeah, normally that would have a, been. That's a good find. Yeah, and also there's also maybe a cosmological hat tip again. You know, we're talking about waxing and waning um, of noontime and summertimes, winter times, that kind of stuff. Um, shadows grow longer and darker when i mean if if the sun is directly above the shadow is like not long at all so in the noon the shadow is like at its zero point and mm. then as it gets towards the evening or as it gets closer into winter the shadows are growing longer and darker so it's it's another reminder on a yeah. cos cosmological level it does mention that right at the end of this chapter too that once melkor departs the light is brought back to a certain degree. Like his darkness mm. is no longer in Valinor. So the light, uh, it says the land was filled with light. And it kind of reminds me of like how just before sunset or at sunset, really, there's like the certain glory of the sunlight, you know, mm. um, it might not actually be lighter, but sometimes you see like clouds are illuminated in a certain way that just makes it look like the whole sky is on fire, you know? Mm. And uh, there's something about that too. Like just before sundown, there's kind of like this last, uh, yeah, in, last for a photographer, hour. it's the golden hour, right? Mm -hmm. um, at, at sunrise and sunset, you have this sort of beautiful time, and then it's real dark. You know how Marvel has the what if series? Like, what if this happened? And you see all the consequences of like, you know, what if this person was Iron Man or whatever? You have so many what ifs. Well, my what if for this is if Feanor and Melkor went off together. Mm. Like, wouldn't that be interesting to see, like, the story of Feanor and Melkor together? And at what point would Melkor, would Feanor, like, fight to usurp the throne? Or would he become twisted and, uh, you know, one of his slaves? Mm. That'd be interesting. I actually think it's the fault of Feanor that is the saving grace not i i think in your summary you you said you know he's able to see through it and like uh reject him or something but i think it's the fault of Feanor. i think that he in perceiving in melkor a fierce lust for the silmarils he is jealousy that overrides him not like some pure motive and, and and maybe that's revealed later on in the book where we discover actually no it is a pure motive um but the next line is then hate overcame Feanor's fear and mm. he cursed Melkor and bade him gone so it, mm, it seemed... hate overcame fear <laughs> thanks um this, this uh, isn't who space was that? balls okay <laughs> yeah yeah space balls that's what it was um so i 
I, I almost see that there's like a happy happy fault that happens in rather than um some kind of like good motive. What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't think it was a good motive. I I just think Feanor's perception, like he's able to see it says his eyes burned through his fair semblance and pierced the cloaks of his mind, piercing there his perceiving there his fierce lust for the Silmarils. So yeah, he sees Melkor's intention, and that leads to hate. Just hate. And he he shuts the door in the house of the house in the face of the mightiest of all the dwellers in Aya. <laughs> I love that line. Just That's like, definitely hate overcoming fear. Really. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that, that is the action that describes the, what's going on in the inside for sure. You just slam the door in Melkor's face. I, I love this description. It's at the beginning of that same paragraph, but it says that Melkor's cunning overreached his aim and his words touched too deep. It's just, he, he had done such a good job of playing everything subtle. Yeah. But his lust for the Summerals kind of welled up in a way where he just like pushed a little too hard and mm. it just all crumbled, you know? Oh, so good. Yeah, even the mention of the Silmarils set Fanor off. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, this is probably a good place for us to stop now. More to come of the Silmarils and of Feanor. If you like what you hear, go ahead and rate us three Camarillions out of three. Follow us everywhere at Before the Fellowship and send any comments or questions to beforethefellowship at gmail.com. Join us next week as we read The Greatest Story You've Never Heard, The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. There's a thousand Camarillions. <laughs> <laughs>